Right. Good morning, church. Good to see you guys all here today. A few more than last week, so I hear. Uh, we've had kind of uh, sickness and traveling and all sorts of stuff going on, but either way, Larry made it happen. He gave a good sermon, so I hear. Again, I wasn't here. So um, Last week, Courtney, Nancy, and myself took the youth group to Cheyenne, and we went to the Cheyenne Youth Rally. And the theme was uh, Foreverland, and it was kind of like Disneyland themed. And they did a really good job. They brought in a speaker from Tennessee, I believe. And uh, was that where he was from? Houston, Texas. One and the same, Tennessee and Houston, Texas. Uh-huh. And he was, uh, he was there doing a youth rally that weekend, and then next week he was going on a marriage seminar cruise and speaking there. And I thought, man, um, that is kind of life goals as a speaker right there. Youth rally, marriage seminar on a cruise ship. So if you see me working towards that, it's not because I don't like you guys. Anyway, we weren't here last week. Um, Larry was here and he gave the sermon for us, but kind of funny circumstances because Travis was supposed to give the sermon. And Thursday afternoon, I get a call from Travis and he's like, I have COVID. And I know Larry told you this, but I was like, okay, we can make it work. He's like, I can Zoom. And I'm like, no, that's going to be too much work. And I agreed. Larry called Larry. I said, do you want him to Zoom? And he's like, no, just call Dennis. So I called Dennis. And Dennis is like, he talked to me for a while. And he's like, I'd love to, but we have COVID too. <laughs> so Dennis is off the hook for this month. So Larry uh, came up and he gave his sermon. Thank you for that. Um, but he did a great job. He looked at temptation and kind of the idea of temptation. And temptation actually works great with where I've been in 1 John, because we're going to be entering into 1 John chapter 3 this week. But last week we spent, uh, or two weeks ago when I spoke last, I should say, we spent a good amount of time in 1 John chapter 2. And kind of what 1 John chapter 2 is talking about is love our brothers and sisters in Christ and not love the world. And if you were to put loving the world into a box, what would you call it? Satan's temptation, right? Loving the world is being tempted by the world. So uh, I don't know if you planned that on purpose, Larry, but I think they really work together really, really well. So throughout 1 John so far, chapter 1, we've looked at walking in the light and living for Christ. And then in chapter 2, loving your brothers instead of loving the world. And then last week, Larry looked at temptation. And thank you again for that, Larry. But today I want to keep looking in the book of 1 John, and I want to go into chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles with you, grab them and we'll open up to chapter 3. That's where we're going to be hanging out all day today, is in 1 John chapter 3. I was looking at 1 John chapter 3, and actually the end of chapter 2, I think it's really hard to break this up into different sermons. Because this was one letter, right? One whole complete thought, and I'm trying to give you just a bite-sized piece for 20 minutes on Sunday. But this is only five chapters as a letter. So if you guys have time this week, or you haven't already, read the whole chapter. It'll take you like half an hour. The whole book. Chapters, all five of them, right? The whole book, because it's one letter, and it has this overarching theme that we're going to finally touch on a little more today of love. But in with love is challenge and encouragement. And all this is working together. So it's so hard to break it up. But I'm going to try my best today to spend all of our time 
mostly in chapter 3. Mostly look at just one piece of this whole letter, even though it's hard to break up. So while we read this here in a minute, I, I want to remind us who John is being written to. First John is probably, or for sure, the last books from John the Apostle, right? And John the Apostle is probably right um, we can probably get this in the 90s sometime, 80, 90, right? So Jesus has been gone for a while. There's been a whole generation that is now dying off and a new one that is growing into full grown, right? And so while, while John's writing this book, he's writing this letter to Christians who haven't seen Jesus face to face. Parents told them and taught them the faith now who are almost a century removed in some ways, second generation, if you will. So some of the things that John is teaching these Christians about loving your brother and not loving your brother, walking in the light, we can Jesus in person. We've got to take his hand face to face because we're multi-generational from him. And that's exactly where these people are that John's writing to in, in all this whole book. But he wants to remind them who Christ was, and he wants to remind them what the point was. So I want to pick up in chapter 3, and I'm actually not going to start there. I'm going to start in chapter 2, verse 28 this morning. So if you would, read with me in 1 John chapter 2, the last verses, and then we'll, we'll get to chapter 3. We'll read verse 3 of chapter 3 to start us off. 1 John 2, 28. John writes, And a little abide in him. So that when you confidence and not shrink from him, shrink, shrink from him and shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you make sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and we will not, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we should be just like Him. Because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself, and He is pure. So I wanted to go back a few verses and actually pick up in chapter 2 because I think, again, how do you break this up into pieces? But the reason I wanted to go back is John greets everybody again and he says, little children. Is, that, is he trying to belittle the people he's writing to? No. I think he's trying to hug the people he's writing to. He says, sense because I'm older and, and shepherding you in the church, but you are God's children. What a great piece of hope that is if you know anything about following God. If you're called God's child, you know there's hope in you, right? Right off the bat, John is encouraging the church and encouraging Christians, wherever they might be, that they are God's children. They are loved by their Father, Right? And we can have confidence that we are gods. We can have confidence in actually using my version there in verse 15. We can have confidence in 
shame. Says that we are in manner. Verses to show how encouraging he is as a church. For him to come. But as he's encouraging them, he's also kind of giving an identifier of who Christians are, isn't he? And he says, Of course the world doesn't look like you. Of course the world doesn't because they never knew God. And you know God. So the world doesn't look like you, and they don't really want to know you. We reflect Jesus and not the world. Of course, we look different, right? And so there's a little bit of challenge already starting there, because people look like the world. We'll talk about that in a few verses. In the last few verses that I read here, John goes and he says it pretty straight. He says. God, you're not living in the world. More as we keep reading. One of the that we are of chapter three because they did. What we will be yet appear. We read this and there's hope in that, but there's also something really hope. It's because being a Christian won't look like the world. John is just reiterating what Jesus said and he wrote about this before. He wrote down the word of Jesus in John chapter 17, verse 13. You want to write it down. 17, 14 through 16, he says the words of Jesus. Jesus himself said, I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Who's Jesus talking about there? Aliens? Kind of, but he's talking about the people who are followers of him, right? And John's opening chapter, that's right. We're not of this world anymore. Just like Jesus said, the world hates me, so the world's going to hate you. And talking about that. But there's a difference. There's people of the world, and then there's people of God. So what are you doing? Well, John's reminding the second generation Christians, he's reminding us today the same thing that Jesus told the first generation Christians. <laughs> the world's going to be against you, and you're still going to have to live in it. But you're not of it, are you? You're different. You're of Jesus. And Jesus even himself said, they will hate you. It's kind of a hard thing to wrap our heads around, especially in the first couple verses of this chapter. But John tells us that we are going to live like Christ here in 1 John. And in chapter 3, he's going to continue talking about how we should not be defined by the evil around us, but we should to be pure. At the end of verse 3, everyone who hopes in him 
purifies himself and he is pure. So what are Christians? Well, we're pure. We're pure. We're out of the world. We're different. So far, there's already a challenge. Let me tell you, it, it get even more challenging for us as children of God. This encouragement is based on the fact that we have hope. That's what the beginning is all about. But let's keep reading here, verse 4. Verse 4 through 10. And I'll actually read verse 3 again to kind of connect. 1 John chapter 3, verse 3 through 10. Everyone who hopes, or everyone who does hopes in him, purifies himself as he is pure. Verse 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sin, and there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one see you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, and he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared to destroy the works of the devil. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not his brother. I said it was going to get kind of hard reading, didn't I? So John wants to encourage these Christians and, and say, you're children of God and you have a hope. And your hope is that you are pure and you have eternity. But then he gets really serious. Verse 4 through 10 um, are just the beginning of him getting really, really serious. He says the same thing about four or five different times, slightly differently, right? The same point over and over again. Simply put, John is saying, there's only two teams. There's only two teams. There's only God's team and Satan's team. There's no in-between. And if you let anyone deceive you, think you can be on this team and playing for this team, no. There's only God's and Satan's. Don't be fooled. That's what John's saying. He's putting it straightforward in five different ways. He says it, but he says, don't be fooled. There's only two teams. And if you practice sin and lawlessness, chose your team. That's Satan's team. And what is lawlessness? It's, he defined it for him too, so they didn't have a question. It's sin. Sin is lawlessness, right? So if you continue on Satan's team, pretty straightforward there, right? But if you practice truth and righteousness you're god's team again breaking it into just straightforward terms god's team satan's team sin and lawlessness or truth righteousness. this chapter right here is why it's good to do a textual series because i'll be honest with you guys i went pick this verse uh to preach off of by my own will they're pretty mean. I like to preach about there's a lot of grace and love in here. But when I just go straight through the Scripture, what's the truth? 
well, the truth is from God. And John right here, there's only two teams. There's only truth and righteousness, and there's lawlessness. There's only Satan and the devil. But what's John hit home over and over again? Is it the fact that there's only two teams? No, it's the fact that you can only play for one team. Did you catch that? He goes over and over again, uh, giving a few different examples. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. So you can't play for God and sin, right? The seed abides in him and he cannot be sinning because he's been born of God. And then verse 10, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, is not of God nor is the one who does not love his brother. Verse 8, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil been sinning from the beginning. There's two teams, but it's all about which one you're living for, right? You can't pretend to be on the other one while you're practicing the sin or you're practicing the truth. And that's for me because is anyone else in here human? It's like, John, you're telling me that if I keep on sinning, I'm playing the devil's team. And that hits me right in between the forehead, I guess, because I'm a human. Is John saying we're going to be perfect? No, he's already touched on that. But what is John saying? He says, choose which team you're going to live for. And if you see sin and you're playing for God, you're going to get rid of it. And in the same way, if you're sinning and you're playing for sin, he's going to get rid of truth. What standards does he have, right? So it's challenging challenging for me. And I challenging for you too. because To be truthful and play for the team that I say I'm playing for. Be on God's team if I'm on God's team. Because if we're living in lawlessness and we say we're on God's team, what do we define everything by? What's even real? You know, sometimes I think people think they can be good people the world. But what is good if you're not living for God? It's loving people, right? What is love if you love God? Well, it's being truthful and honest. What is truthful and honest if you haven't had it defined by God? See, when you start playing Satan, there's no way you can start taking things from God's team. It just doesn't work. You get to pick one or the other and you play for them exclusively. That's what John's saying right here. That's what John's saying. So it's a challenge for me. Probably a challenge for you guys. Let's keep reading here in verse 11. And uh, that's probably the hardest piece of this chapter that we just read, but John still challenges here in verse 11 through the end. So let's read through the end of the chapter. For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, verse 11, that we should love one another. murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brother, that the world hates you. Just like he said. Do not be surprised that the world hates you. Verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does love above death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal 
life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother yet heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is in our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and we do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and we love one another just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God abides in him, and by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit he has given us. A lot of good stuff to chew on there. Again, it's hard to break this up into just sermons, right? But in the, the last half of this chapter, if you will, John challenges us to not live for the world and to not play for Satan's team, but to instead live the truth of God, play for God's team. But how do we know we're doing that? What does the truth look like? What does God's team look like? Well, these verses that we just read are what it looks like, isn't it? John's describing some practical examples of what living for God looks like, what not falling into Satan's trap on his team looks like. So what he does is he spends the rest of this chapter, for the most part, defining what the truth looks like for people. And the very first example he gives is what not to do. In verse 12 and 13, mostly 12, he gives the example of Cain and Abel not to do right? This is not live by truth and righteousness. Why is that? Well, Cain did not love, was a murderer. Why was he a murderer? Most people say, simply put, he was jealous. But John puts it a little better than that, doesn't he? Well, he says, because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. So sure, he was jealous, but he also recognized that his brother Abel, was serving God better than he was. He realized that his brother was righteous and that he wasn't really playing for God. He makes it better, right? His brother, that always fixes everything. No. He's playing exclusively Satan. He didn't seek out truth and righteousness from the beginning. That's what not to do, isn't it? That's why John gives the example. He did not love his brothers, and the whole point of this is to love one another. Verse 15 says, Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. I don't like that verse. That offends me because um, he's taking the story of Cain and Abel and saying, 
Uh, Cain didn't like his brother. He didn't love him, so he murdered him. And that's what all of you guys are doing. Because I love my brother. But I don't want to be called a murderer for it. Murder's way worse. Not to John. John is saying, and saying it pretty bluntly, that is if you don't love others and you don't love your brothers, you're as bad as murderers. That's bluntly what he's saying, isn't it? I don't like that. It really, really offends me. But isn't that the point? Isn't the point of these words to kind of offend Christians? To make us go, wait a minute. God's truth offends me? Am I playing for his team? Because that's what you're saying. See, sometimes in our culture especially, we try and rank sin, don't we? Sometimes we try to group sin into like worse or not worse. And we put like adultery and murder worst. And we put things like pride, gossip, and lies. No big deal. Those are down at the bottom. But what John is saying all the same. If you don't love, you're as bad as a murderer. But it's God's truth. So I should be changed. So I guess what we need to do about that is our brothers, because I don't want to be judged as a murderer. I don't want to be looked at as a murderer. It's all the same. It's all the lawlessness of Satan, how quickly it snowballs, right? So this is some pretty serious stuff. And it's good that John offends me because that's why textual sermons are great. Some stuff to work on for myself, right? He gives some examples of how we can love our brothers, and he kind of gives us a little roadmap. Verses 14 through 17 here, he, he gives uh, that we should love our brothers. In verse 14, he gives the verse that I just read in 15. But then 16 through 17, he says, By this we know love, down his life for us, to lay down our lives for brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet he closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or deed, but in talk, or not in word and talk, but in deed and in truth. John tells us how to do this practically, doesn't he? He says, if you want to love your brother and you don't want to look like a murderer, how should you do it? Well, Jesus laid down his lives for us. I kind of would like for you to start doing the same type of thing. <laughs> John's saying, right? He gives one super easy, super hard example. He says, if you have goods of this world and you see a bag and you close your heart against him, how does God's love abide in you? Super easy example. It's super hard. It's like John picked one that he knew everybody would deal with and struggle with for thousands of years. <laughs> when I see someone in need and I've been blessed by God, shouldn't I be helping him? Isn't that what loving our brother looks like? You want to be a murderer? John's being pretty rough. He's, he's saying, though, over and over, it's serious stuff. Don't close your heart to others. Don't 
look like, right? So I guess we start to have some responsibility when we're playing for God's team. That's what John over and over. It means taking care of brothers and sisters down our lives like Christ, or maybe simply providing for someone when they're in need. Sometimes I know. But let me read this last verse, and this is kind of where I want to conclude, because this is all one thought, but I want to read this last verse together and wrap up here. Verse 24 in chapter 3, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God abides in him. And by this we know he abides in us by the Spirit he's given us. Church, God abides in us. Remember that? Do you realize that? Be baptized for forgiveness of sins. That sounds really good. I don't want sins anymore. The last part, right? And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, God living in us. John's talking about that right here, right? Abiding in us. God's Holy Spirit is in you and me. What does that mean? Well, it means we should be playing for God and we should be living His truth. We should be living in righteousness and not walking in sin. Kind of the modern term for what John talked about at the end of the chapter is don't just walk the walk or don't just talk the talk, walk the walk, right? Don't just talk the talk, walk the walk. So as Christians, we God in us, and we have to love our brothers, other brothers, in God's eyes. So, church, talk the talk, walk the walk, and help do the same. That's all I have this morning. Thank you. Not inconvenient. How I love the great.